welcome again. Um, I was going to shift course and talk about the things of this week biblically, but I figured, uh, why not just talk about sin? (laughs) God restores us and redeems us. So that's where we're going this morning, and we're continuing this sermon series that we started last week called Second Chances. It's kind of like a character study of four people. I mean, there's like everybody in the Bible, but four people specifically that failed miserably in Scripture, but then were restored or redeemed by God. So last week we looked at Moses. Today we're going to look at David. Next week we'll look at Matthew and the week after uh, the Apostle Peter. So um, what I want to do is I'm going to read just a few, um, because I spoke too much earlier. I'm just going to read a few verses from Psalm 51. We're going to unpack Um, the psalm kind of later on in the sermon, but I just want to read a few verses. I was going to read all of it, but we don't have time to do that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to uh, Psalm 51. The the psalms are kind of smack dab um, in the middle of your Bible. So let me read. I'll read the first five verses of Psalm 51 along with the heading of the psalm. I don't know if we have that on here, but if not, you can just listen on. So Let me read God's word for us. For the choir director, this is again is the introductory words, for the choir director, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. And then David wrote, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right. When you pass sentence or when you pass judgment, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you that it's true. And we pray this morning, God, that it will change us. It will transform us. It will help us, God, to see who we are, and even more, God, who you are. So God, I pray this morning, as David did, cleanse us from our sin, blot out our transgressions, and God, help us to walk in step and to walk in faith with you. Help us to see this morning, Jesus, that sin destroys God, but you redeem and you restore. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, that's kind of the big idea or the main point there that I just kind of closed my prayer with. Um, Sin destroys, but God restores. Amen. Years ago, I read a New York Times story about two women, Laura Bennett and Sandra Spannon. Some of you may remember this story. It's probably 10 years ago or so now, but the two women went out in the streets. They were dressed in white 19th century washerwoman clothes. I wish I had somebody up here that could model that. It was pretty atrocious back then. 
But they're, they're wearing these gowns, and they're holding a sign, and as people are walking down the streets of New York City, the sign read, Air Your Dirty Laundry. 100% confidential, anonymous, and free. Now, as people approached, one of the women would hand them a clipboard with a blank sheet of paper and an envelope with the word secret stamped on the envelope. Hundreds of people of all walks of life, rich and poor, black and white, young and old, took the clipboard and jotted down their inner secrets. Some of the confessions were were pretty goofy. Here's one of them. The hermit crab was still alive when I threw it down the trash chute. Apparently somebody felt like they needed to confess that. This is directed at some of you, not all of you. I want to see SUVs explode. Those people are so selfish. Some were pretty sad. I haven't yet visited my dead dead parents' grave. New York City makes me feel lonely. And some were pretty tragic. I am dating a married man and I am getting financial compensation in exchange for the guilt. I'm 25 and he's a millionaire. It pays to be young. Another one read, I haven't slept with my husband in a year and I'm about to start an affair with And then it listed the person's name. After each person was out of sight, Miss Bennett and Miss Bannon, or Spannon rather, opened the envelopes and they taped them to the storefront of their art gallery. You see, they were artists and they were setting the stage for one of their new exhibitions. And within days, hundreds and hundreds of confessions covered the windows of their building. Their art revealed many things. But one thing stood out. People, regardless of their age and stage of life, regardless of their skin cover, color or income level, are hiding. Every one of us is hiding. We're hiding something. Now sure, most of us and most of them look fine on the outside, put together and composed, but on the inside, people are attempting to hide their guilt, their shame, and ultimately their sin. See, we're all hiding. We're all all hiding something. We're hiding our guilt, our shame, our regret. We've gone to great lengths. We even see that with King David in a minute here. We've gone to great lengths to hide our sin. What I want to ask you this morning is, what are you doing with what you're hiding? How are you dealing with what you're hiding? The sin that you're trying to cover uh, and and not allowing other people to expose you. Like, what are you doing with that sin? Is it eating you alive? Now, when you sat down this morning, you noticed a blank piece of paper and a pen. And if you're at home, I'd love for you to find a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil, whatever you need, marker, whatever you need to write with. And I want you to take a moment and write down the sin that is overwhelming you right now. And as we work through this sermon, as we look more at God's word, what I want you to do is, if you can, if you feel comfortable enough, I want you to glance at that sin from time to time. And I want you to offer that hidden sin, maybe that that no one knows, not even your spouse, I want you to offer that hidden sin 
to God. And don't worry, uh, we're not collecting your blank sheets of paper. We're not plastering them on the windows of the church. You don't have anything to worry about with that. This is just for you. But in the Old Testament, we read about a king. We read about King David. This is in, in 1 Samuel. We read about King David who is rich and powerful. And he's a man after God's own heart. And he's a close, intimate relationship with God. Yet he sinned. And he sinned badly. I don't know if that's really a word combination I can use there. But, but miserable. his sin was awful. He plotted, he schemed, he lied, and he did whatever he needed to do then to hide his sin. And his sin, as we'll see in a minute, brought incredible destruction. Now let me read, just, let me just give us a little bit of context as to what kind of transpired here. So now we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is, this is kind of what took place. You know, we read David's confession. Let's look at what happened before he confessed. In the spring, 2 Samuel says, chapter 11, in the spring when kings marched out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem, which he shouldn't have done. He should have been out on the battlefield with his men. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David went or sent someone to inquire about her. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from the uncleanliness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. Now in the springtime, when kings marched out to war, David remained in Jerusalem. So he chose to stay home while his Troops marched off into battle. His choice was unusual, and his choice opened up the door for what transpired next. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. Now, David ordered his messengers, as I read, as we saw, to bring the woman Bathsheba to the palace. And they did. When she arrived, it said, he slept with her. Now, there are a few kind of exegetical fallacies that we need to remove from our understanding in regards to this passage, either when we read it, uh, when, when we've heard maybe another preacher preach on it, but we need to understand a few things that are kind of uh, maybe we don't see when we're just kind of skimming through the passage. First, we assume that Bathsheba was naked bathing on the roof. Now, in the past, I've heard pastors place some level of blame on her. Well, she shouldn't have been bathing on the roof. One word. No. The word bathing in Hebrew literally means wash. There is no reason necessarily to assume, although we do, that she was completely naked. She could have been washing her feet. 
She could have been washing her dishes or her dog. Second, in the ancient days, if the king called for you, you obeyed and you went. There was no, sorry king, I'm not interested. The king called you, you went or you died. By the way, there's another person. There's only one person in this story that disobeyed the king. And I'm not getting into this today. But there's only one other person in, or one person in this passage that disobeyed the king, and that was Uriah. And what happened to him? He was killed. You don't disobey the king. And finally, notice in verse 4, the text says that David slept with her. Not that they slept together. So the language, the original language, suggests that... See, we often say that David committed adultery... The original language suggests that David raped Bathsheba. Was, was it adultery? Yes. But it was also rape. Now with that said, at the end of the chapter, chapter 11, we read, The Lord considered what David had done to be evil. So God blames David, not Bathsheba. So we've got to remove all of that you know, pointing the finger at Bathsheba. She, she was just living her life. And this dude took advantage of her. Now fast forward. Bathsheba becomes pregnant with David's child, but she's married. She's married to one of David's faithful commanders, a guy by the name of Uriah. And oh, by the way, David is married as well. Now, David attempts to cover up his sin. To make a long story short, there's a lot that goes on here, but David ordered that Uriah go to the battlefield and stand on the front line so he could be killed and therefore hiding his sin. David's thought is, if I get Uriah killed, I'll sweep in. I'll marry, I'll take care of Bathsheba, and everybody will look at me as being the good friend and the good king. See, if we refuse to own and confess our sin, this is what happens. We will do whatever we need to do to hide our transgressions, preserve our image, and then as we're doing that, our lives then begin to spin out of control, right? Well, almost a year later, so almost a year passes now. And the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to David. So a year passes. David is doing everything he can to hide his sin, to conceal what he did. Nathan arrives. And he tells David a story, a parable of injustice. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. If not, I have it on the screen here for us. So, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, he told him a story, he told him a parable. There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat. From his cup she would drink. Sounds like my dog. And in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to, to prepare for the traveler 
who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guests. In other words, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and fed it to his visitor. Now David's angry. He hears this story because David is thinking, this happened in my kingdom. I can't believe this rich man did this to this poor man. That's not going to happen in my land. And David's enraged, and he says, as the Lord lives, the man who did this, the rich man, deserves to die because he has done this thing and has shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that one lamb. Now, David had no idea that Nathan had communicated the parable about his actions with Bathsheba and Uriah. So David's enraged, and Nathan looks at him bluntly and says, you are that man. You are that man. A year has passed. David, rather, is finally broken because of Nathan's words. He responds to Nathan and says, I have sinned against the Lord. In verses 14 and 15, we notice, I don't think I have this on the screen, and that's okay, but we notice God's grace, and we notice the consequences of sin. And I've shared that many times. Listen, if we're going to invite sin into our lives, and we're going to walk down those roads, then we've got to understand that there are going to be consequences for our actions. We shouldn't be surprised when we sin, and then the bad stuff comes. So Nathan replied to David, yes. So Nathan said, I have, or David said, I'm rather, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replied to him and said, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. It's grace. The Lord has forgiven you. He raped a woman, committed adultery, and he killed a man, and the Lord has forgiven him. That's grace. That's mercy. He deserved to die, especially in that culture. But the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. So the child that Bathsheba will have, David's son, is going to die. And the child does die. See, sin has consequences. Like David, we all have something that we regret, that we're ashamed of, that, that we're embarrassed to talk about. Now, we might wonder, probably like David did when you're reeling, right, and you're hiding it and you're shoving it down and you're trying to get rid of it. We might wonder, like David did, how am I going to recover from this? How can I come back from this? This is horrible what I've done. Is it even possible to come clean? Can I move forward? Will God forgive me? I mean, have you ever thought that? I have. Can God forgive me for this? I mean, in this story, we find plainly that sin destroys. It really does. But God restores. You see, David's story, I hope you see this, is our story. It's a story of of sin and of hiding sin, but also of God coming into your life and, and helping you and enabling you to come clean. It's a story of a human being committing sin and experiencing God-given grace. All right, well, as I read the heading of Psalm 51, so 
So David is found out, and he's broken. And I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this, but, but there have been points in my life where I've been broken over my sin, and I've, I've confessed it, and I've actually written it down. So Psalm 51 is, is David's, like, confession, his secret prayer, his little note. That, that's what this is. And by God's grace, we have the opportunity to, to, to see what is going on in this man's heart and in his mind as he's working his way in dealing with his sin. So the heading of Psalm 51, for the choir director, it says, A psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Some translation says uh, it's a little bit more literal, and it actually says after he had gone into, meaning intercourse, with Bathsheba. See, the, the Psalm uh, 51 is a lament. It's, it's David's, as I said a second ago, his private confession. Now look at verse 1 and 2 with me real quick. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion and completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. So David is finally here confessing his sin. He's finally opening up to it. His plotting and his scheming at this point is over. All he can do at this point, he's like, it's out there. All I can do is plead. All, is I, all I can do right now is beg that God will forgive me. Now do you see that phrase, faithful love? Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. This is translated from the word, and I've, I've preached on this in the past, the Hebrew word hased. Hesed. Hesed is a problematic word for us to completely grasp. We don't really have enough English words to grasp what is behind this word. Scholars have filled, spilled gallons and gallons of ink over this word. But hesed is essentially unfailing love. It's a loyal love. It's a love that never, ever stops. A love that is compassionate and gracious and merciful. So though we turn our back on God, and we see here David turned his back on God and sinned, he never turns his back on us. It's this loyal, unfailing love. We hide, but God always finds, and he always finds because he's relentless in his pursuit and his steadfast, unrelenting love for us. Now notice at the end of the verse, of verse 2, 1 and 2, it says, David asked God to blot out his rebellion, wash away his guilt, and cleanse him from his sin. So David is asking here for forgiveness. But not only that, he's asking God, he's saying, listen, purify me. Cleanse me. Whatever is filthy in me, get it out. And, and wash me anew. That's what Jesus does, right? Jesus takes your old dead heart and, and he gives you a new heart. He washes you from the inside out. In the Old Testament, right? So, so here's what's going on here. David's asking for forgiveness. He's asking for God to purify him, to make him clean. In the Old Testament, there were these sacrifices that the Israelites had to do. And, and they, they would do these sacrifices. They would perform these ritual washings. And those things, those doing those things, symbolized the removal of sin and a restored relationship with God. That was the point of the washings and the sacrifices. David's sins, though, his rape, his adultery, and his murder deserve death. They were outside of the bounds, 
You following me here? They were outside the bounds of ritual washings and sacrifices. If you read the Old Testament law, those sins deserve death, as I said. No ritual could have cleansed David at this point. So he's appealing directly to God. I can't go to the altar. I can't get a bath. God, I'm going right to you. No priest can take care of this for me. I need you. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me against you, and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass a sentence or judgment on me. You are blameless when you judge. In in other words, I deserve it. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. I am conscious, he said, of my rebellion. The I and the my reveal that David is not merely contemplating or thinking about his rebellion. He's not just processing it. It's not just a passing thought. He's going, I am fully aware of who I am and what I've done. He's not hiding anymore. He's not pretending. He's not shifting the blame. Aren't we good at that, by the way, when you sin? It was so-and-so's fault. They made me do it. Well, if you would have. No, he says, my sin, I was guilty, I was sinful. See, when we individually sin, we need to take responsibility for our individual actions. Now, it may surprise you that David wrote, against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, David knew that he sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba and the nation of Israel because here, the, back then the king... Uh, was supposed to be almost like a spiritual leader as well, right? So the king spiritually should have had it all together, and he didn't. He failed miserably. So he sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba, and the Israelites. But he knew, he knew that the root of his action, the root of his sin was rebellion against God. So God, I sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba and against the Israelites because first I sinned against you. I rebelled against you. When was the last time, when was the last time when you sinned, you were tore up that you offended God? See, I found that most often when we sin, we're tore up because we got caught. Or we're tore up because we're embarrassed. But see, David here is getting to the heart of it. I sinned against you, God, and because I sinned against you, I've sinned against these other people. See, until we realize that our sin breaks the heart of God, we will never change. I know that might catch you a little bit off guard, but it is true. Until you realize that your sin is an offense against God, you will never change. Think about this for a moment. When we, when we confess our sins, the focus is on what we did, but not on who we are. Right? See, so often when we confess our sins, we're confessing against, you know, God, I'm so sorry that I did X, Y, and Z. Maybe we need to flip that narrative a little bit and go, God, I'm so sorry that I rebelled against you and I rebelled against you because I'm a sinner and I went my own way rather than trusting and walking in your precepts and your steps. 
There's a big difference between the two. See, the action, of course, is sinful. But what about the heart that produced the actions? You following me? Am I making sense? You're like, gosh, just move on to the grace and mercy part. I'm tired of sin. I get it. Me too. But until we understand the weight and depth of our sin, we won't fully understand the grace, the mercy, and the kindness of Jesus. So the action, of course, is sinful, but what about the heart that produced those actions? Are you neglecting the heart? And are you just trying to change and transform your actions? You'll be good for a day or two. How you doing with the New Year's resolution? Bubkiss, it's done, isn't it? Right? No more sweets, no more chocolate, whatever. I've been housing it. See, God knows why we're confessing the sin. And that's why David said, surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom, deep wisdom within. So the inner self that David is referencing here is the heart. The heart matters. The heart is the control center of our lives. It dictates how we live our lives. So what's filling your heart today? Sin or Jesus? Now, leading up to David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah were countless other sins. You see, though, these are little sins, right? And we like to call them little sins, but leading up to the big sins are little sins. Just as wrong, just as bad, just as offensive to God. So David is slowly drifting away from being a man after God's own heart. See, He didn't wake up. David didn't wake up one morning and go, you know what? You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to rape a woman. And I'm going to commit adultery. And then I'm going to kill her husband. That's not how sin works, right? It never works like that. You don't wake up one day and you know what? I'm going to be an awesome sinner today. This is going to be, unless you're like totally crazy. You know, which happened. I get it. I have. But, you know, I think. Well, whatever. I don't know. Whatever. See, his inner self is not filled with the love of God, but the love of himself. That's what's going on here. I see a beautiful woman. I'm going to take the beautiful woman. Three amigos. Remember that line? Anyway. David became. See, here's what happened here. David became the type of person that commits rape and murder. He became that person. What does that mean? He loved himself and his sinful ways more than the Lord. So in writing Psalm 51, we finally realize or we see that David sees that, he, that his heart is jacked up, that he needed godly wisdom to have a godly heart and a godly life. If you want to live a wise life and a life full of character and integrity, then you need to fill yourself with godly wisdom. Scripture's clear, right? Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. See, unless the heart is changed, the behavior will continue. Verse 7, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So if you were to Google the word hyssop, uh, today, it would make no sense to you. Hyssop is a, like a small, kind of aromatic, brushy plant. How could a plant purify David? Well, he's saying a lot more than this, talking about just this little plant. 
the Israelites used hyssop when offering their sacrifices. Hyssop was used when the Israelites placed blood on their doorpost during Passover. You remember that story? You could look it up. It's in the book of Exodus. To be purified with hyssop is a figurative expression that declares the need for a blood sacrifice. So the blood and the hyssop revealed that God restores, God heals, and God purifies. So David is saying, cleanse me and purify me. I can't offer a sacrifice right now, so I'm asking you, God, to do it. With that said, I don't know about you, but I've been studying the Bible for 20-some years, and you know the whole blood and the sacrifices and all that stuff in the Old Testament still weirds me out. I'm not going to lie. And you're probably right there with me. But see, the blood and the sacrifices in the Old Testament points us to the final and the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. There was a reason for all of that. The sacrificing the bulls and the lambs and the throwing the blood on the doorsteps and all that craziness is symbolizing and it's pointing to what's to come. Jesus the Christ being the final sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, we find foreshadowing and we find symbols. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. So David knew the weight and the depth of his sin, and he knew that the brokenness that he felt over his sin was ultimately for his good. Y'all, we've got to understand this. Letting your sin out and confessing it is a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, I ain't said I'm no booth in the back or anything like that for you to walk in and confess your sins to me. You need to own up to Jesus, the Lord, for your sins. I can't forgive you. Well, unless you offend me and sin against me. I can forgive you, and I will, if that ever happens. But ultimately, Jesus is the only one that can forgive you for your deepest, darkest secrets. And even those little bitty sins that you think aren't so bad that are leading to a bigger sin. So David David knows this. And he knows, listen, if I get my sin out, it's for my good. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now, do you see what David is communicating here? He's longing to have joy and gladness again. He's saying, my bones have been crushed because of my sin. And because of what I've done, God, you've crushed my bones. I want to have joy and gladness again. Listen, when you're hiding your sin, it's really hard to be full of joy and gladness, isn't it? You're walking around every corner going, when am I going to be found out? Right? Yeah, this is one we don't like to say amen. I get it. See, God breaks us and he allows the suffering. God allows the pain and it's for our good. Because sin robs us of this joy and gladness. And what God is trying to do, he's trying to point us and saying, listen, let go of it. And I will care for you. I will heal you. See, God is for you. And we need to meditate, some of us, on that word here today. God is for us. He's for us. That's hard to believe, especially when we're aware of our sin. But it's true. Man, i got to get moving here. We feel like, right, sometimes our sin is too much for us to bear. That's why David wrote in verses 9 through 12, he said, Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's a good 
Good old uh, modern hymn right there. Do not banish me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. So David is wondering right here, he's going, God, are you going to abandon me because of my sin? Are you going to let me go? And then he's pleading with God, God, don't leave me. I need you, God. I mean, we wonder, don't we? And we plead. God, restore me. God, I want to have those feelings. I want to have those experiences that I once had when I first surrendered my life to you. God, I want to have those feelings. I want to have those experiences when I was on the mission field. God, I, I want to have those feelings, those experiences when I was in at Signal on, on Sunday morning. God, I'm pleading with you. Draw me close to you again. See, because, because sin corrupts our hearts, sin alienates us from the Lord, and it takes away our joy. Again, sin destroys, but God restores. So David is confessing, he's praying, he's pleading, heal me, change me, and restore me. And when that happens, David says, then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. He's owning up to it right there, isn't he? God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Listen, I'm convinced of this right now. When we understand our sin, and we understand how bad it is, and we understand that it's affecting this, right? It's affecting our horizontal relationship with other people. We understand this, and then we need to understand that it's also affecting this. It's affecting our vertical sin, is our vertical relationship with Jesus. When we understand that, the forgiveness and the restoration of God becomes uh, more valuable. And, and we understand what God, what Jesus did for us. And when we understand that, when we can fully grasp that, we will want to share it with others. When you understand that your sin has been forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ, you will want to share that with others. That's what David is saying here. And I am convinced that one of the reasons, maybe the reason we don't share our faith enough, is because we haven't offered our sins to Jesus. We're still hiding. And we haven't experienced true freedom yet. Because if you know the freedom that only Jesus Christ can give, you will share it. And you will teach it to others. I am free because of Jesus and Jesus alone. See, we cannot share what we're not experiencing. I share good meals that I have. I had a good meal last night and I didn't pay for it either. A friend paid for it. It was excellent. I had sea bass with some sort of pureed nonsense, right? I, it was little. I had to go home and eat more, but it was really good, and I'll tell you about it. I experienced it. You share what you experience. I can't share a meal that I didn't eat. All right, look at verses 16 and 17 quickly. He said, David said, God, you don't want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. 
the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and a humble heart. You see what he's saying there? God, I know you don't want me just to do more stuff. That's not going to take care of my sin. You want my heart, you want my mind, you want everything about me to be broken. And as I'm broken, you humble me and you change me and you, you transform me in a very real way. God, you fix me. That's what you want, God. And I'm coming before you right now, God, broken and needy. And we're going to have the worship team come up, but we're not now. I went a little bit over, but, but I do want to close with a few thoughts. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrased in, in his book, uh, The Message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. Verse 17. He said, I learned, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. See, being a Christian and, and living as a Christian means having our selfish hearts shattered and restored by God. See, don't make the mistake like David was trying to make of thinking that you get past this in your life. Like, somehow, if I hide my sin well enough, I'll be okay. Don't make that mistake. Happiness and joy come in this life as you conform to the will and the purposes of Jesus. And that comes as you let go of your pride, as you confess, as you did this morning, as you confess your hidden sins. Happiness and joy flood into your life again and you have this experience with God anew when you surrender your lives to Jesus who lived the perfect life, sinless life that you could never live. Who died on the cross for all of your sins, even that one you wrote on the paper this morning. And who rose from the dead to give you life today and for all eternity. See, sin destroys, but that doesn't need to be the end of your story, because Jesus restores. Jesus restores. Why don't you stand with me, and I'm going to pray and close this out with a benediction from God's word. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, that you came into this world. You lived, as I said a moment ago, you lived the perfect life we could never live. You died on the cross for every single one of our sins. Our, our little sins that we, like, we think we have and our, even our big sins, those hidden sins, those sins that we wrote down this morning. God, you, you died for those sins. You lived the perfect life, Jesus, we could never live. You died on the cross for all of those sins. You rose from the dead, God, so that we can have life forever, for all eternity. God, I pray this morning that we will confess 
humbly. That we will come before you this morning, this afternoon, tomorrow, this week with broken hearts. Knowing that you are the only one that can restore it. God, help us to stop hiding. Help us to stop pretending. Help us to stop lying and scheming. And help us, Jesus, to be open before you. And honest before you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, we need you. And we plead with you this morning, God. God, move. God, move in us. Jesus, now is hear our prayers. Hear our hearts. We confess to you now, God, those things that we wrote on, on those sheets of paper. We offer them up to you. God, we're truly sorry. We humbly repent. We want to follow you. So help us now, God, to walk out these doors. If we're here this morning, if we're at home, help us, God, to know by your grace as we confess, as we repent, you give us a clean heart. You restore us. So God, help us today to experience this joy and this happiness in you and to be grateful and thankful for the steadfast love the hesed that you have given us, Jesus. We thank you. All right, lift your heads, please, and hear this beautiful benediction from God. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen and amen. Y'all go in the joy and the peace of our Lord and thank him and praise him that your sins are forgiven and you are restored to relationship with him. Have an awesome week, and we look forward to seeing you very soon. Y'all are great.